Well, good morning, 9.30. How are we doing? All right. Hey, happy Father's Day as well to those of you that are here. We are, as Nick said, continuing in our B-Team series, uh, looking at some of those stories from the scriptures that maybe you have never heard of. Uh, I don't know about you, I grew up going to church and, and you know, know a lot of the stories in the Bible and not just the flannel graph ones like David and Goliath, uh, but... Uh, even the first week, Pastor Jarrett talked about something I had never heard of before. So if you don't know what we're talking about today, that's great. You're totally in good company. Uh, we're looking at some characters that are in the story of God that you may have never heard of before to teach us a, a truth that is throughout the scripture and throughout history that God actually uses regular, everyday, ordinary people just like you and me to change the world. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I don't know about you. I have some personal knowledge of what it's like to not be picked for the team. Uh, I, I have a very vivid memory. Uh, I was in elementary school, and we were picking teams for kickball, uh, and the line of people that were options just kept getting smaller and smaller until it was just me. And then they just left and started playing the game, and nobody <laughs> picked me for the team. Uh, anybody else, you, you, you know what it's like to not be picked for the team? You've had an experience, like six of you. All right, great, Th that's cool. The rest of you, you peaked in high school? Right on, we're not sad. Uh, we're not sad for you at all. Um, but when it comes to, you know, when it comes to, like, elementary school, like, it, it feels bad, but it's not that big of a deal. But now, as you're an adult, like, not being picked for the team, maybe it's a position in the company, uh, and you get passed up for a promotion that you think you deserve, or maybe it's getting invited to that party and being around those people that, that you thought were your friends. We can have these moments where the idea of not being first pick can actually kind of be damaging to our, our soul and our self-worth. And, and for many of us, when it comes to the idea of how that trans, you know, translates into our spiritual life, uh, we think that being used by God is just for the super Christians, right? It's just for the spiritual elite. It's just for, you know, the, the pastors and, and the priests and the small group leaders. And that's not us, right? We, we can think that. But the reality is that God actually wants to use you in your life to do something powerful. And we're going to look at a story today that actually shows that there is something in every single one of our stories that God wants to take and drive us to a larger story, a bigger story, uh, but it's usually gonna be on the other side of something that we're afraid of or a situation that we don't love. And so as you were able to chat with some new friends, right, you would just be able to talk to them about what's a scenario that you just felt like you had to get out of it, right? Maybe for you it was a bad date, right? You're like, I should have set up my emergency text <laughs> earlier. I didn't think this through, and now I'm paying the consequences, and I'm just stuck here, right? Order everything on the menu, right? So maybe it's a bad date. Uh, maybe it's a conversation where someone just would not stop talking, and you're just like, uh-huh, yeah, uh, did you? No, bye. You know, like you just kind of exit, right? Or, or maybe it's something at work where you found yourself in a meeting, and then someone asks what you think, and you're like, ooh, I wasn't... Um, paying attention, <laughs> shoot, uh, where can I go, right? And so you have these moments where it, it can be challenging, but you're like, I need to get out of here. And then there are harder moments, bigger moments, right, where you know that there is something more at play, something else is going on, and the, the situation where you find yourself wanting to escape is actually illuminating something deeper in your soul, right? For me, I was at a party one time, uh, and I walked into this, this house where our friend had invited us, and right there in the kind of the same front room was a person that I had had a conflict with. No, nothing major, right? We didn't like hate each other. We just had this really, you know, symbiotic, unspoken relationship that we're never to be in the same place at the same time, right? And, and it was a great arrangement. We were following the rules. Everybody was fine. Uh, but our mutual friend uh, did not understand our unspoken relationship. It's funny how it works that way. And all of a sudden, we're now face-to-face -face with each other, and I'm looking for an escape hatch. Can I talk to anybody else? Can I make small talk? How soon can we leave, right? And I'm like, I didn't get to enjoy this party 
and I was looking forward to it, but I didn't get to enjoy it specifically because I was coming face to face with the reality that I actually wasn't free, that there was something going on in my life with this person that was keeping me from experiencing life to the fullest. And we all have this, right? We, you have your thing that's in your life, I have mine, and it's so common that without even knowing it, it's kind of subconsciously, we can create habits and patterns of travel and you know, skills that we will learn and, and bring into our life of how to avoid circumstances that we would rather not play a part in how to avoid people, how to avoid places, how to avoid aspects of life that we just don't want to deal with. We are actually all very good at this. Maybe there are places that you just don't go anymore. And it's okay, it's worth it to you to miss out on that event or that restaurant or even that city because you don't wanna face what it would take to engage what is there for you. Right, that person or that memory. There, there are aspects in your life and stories you may tell yourself that keep you from those things. Maybe perhaps you have learned to manage your image in such a way that it communicates uh, a different story than what's true that you're actually not so good at managing your money. Maybe for you, there are aspects of your prayer life that are constantly asking God to change people or places or circumstances because if they would just play their part in your life movie, everything would be better off. I've prayed those prayers before. Like This is true of me too. But my question for us today is what if the circumstance that you are asking God to change is actually the same circumstance that God wants to use to change you? What if the circumstance, the thing that you wish would go away, would be different, would be like it used to be, what if that circumstance that you're asking God to change is actually the same circumstance that he wants to use in your life and in my life to transform us, to grow us, to make us more of who he has created us to be? And so today, we're actually going to look at a story in the scriptures about a circumstance that both parties would wish that was different. Right, it's actually in the book of Philemon. Uh, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. And so if you want to grab your copy of your scriptures, there's a gray one in the seat back pocket directly in front of you. This letter is a letter from Paul, and it's so short, it's literally only on one page. All right, so go ahead. If you grab the Bible, turn to page 837, and we're going to pick this up. But to give you a little context before we jump into it about what's going on, is there's two people in this story. This letter is from Paul, and most of Paul's letters are found in the New Testament, are written to groups of people, right? Large churches in large cities, uh, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, all of those, you've heard of them before. And they really talk about theology and an invitation to this beautiful way of life of following Jesus. And so they're very kind of high level uh, teaching letters, but this one is different. It's very personal. It's specifically written to one person, and his name is Philemon, which is why it gets its name. And Philemon was a leader in the Christian church in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, and Philemon was a very wealthy man. And he actually led the church out of his large home, and he had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus uh, was literally translated useful. And so Onesimus was a, probably a pretty good slave, I would imagine, from his name. But Onesimus actually escapes he steals from his owner, from Philemon, and runs away to Rome where he meets Paul. And so this is actually the story that Victor Hugo was inspired by for the opening scene of Les Miserables. So if it's easier for you to picture Hugh Jackman while I'm talking, go right ahead, right? Because John Valjean is way better than what you got in front of you. Um, and that's the story where he goes back to the priest with the candlestick. You've, you've seen this, the movie, you know the story. Like this is actually what inspired that writing is that Philemon is you know, a wealthy man. He's stolen from by his slave. His slave escapes to Rome, meets the apostle Paul, who mentored Philemon, and Paul 
has a conversation with Onesimus and actually teaches him about Jesus, and Onesimus starts to follow the way and the teaching of Jesus. And so Paul decides to do something unscripted, something that neither Onesimus certainly or even Philemon probably anticipated, and he sends Onesimus back to his owner, thousands of miles away with this letter. And so we're going to pick up this letter at verse 8. There's no chapters. It's that short, right? It's just verse 8. So again, on page 837, this is Paul writing to Philemon about his relationship with Onesimus, who's carrying this letter back. It says, therefore, because of all what I just told you, he just tells him how much he cares about him and the situation that he's in. Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Would you underline that verse? Even if this isn't your Bible, because you can take this home if you want, right? That verse could alone could radically change your life. Dads, if you lived your life in your family, not ordering your kids around, but appealing to them on the base of love, what would be different? That may not be how you were raised, but what could God do through you? At your work, as you're a leader or on a team, if instead of just ordering people to do what they ought to do, if you appealed to them on the basis of love, how much different would your relationships be? This is what Paul does. He says, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul. Right? I'm writing this in my own hand. An old man now in, the prison, in prison for Jesus that I appeal to you to my, for my son, Onesimus. He's using familial language. He sees himself as the father figure kind of bringing these two kids back together. Right? You might have had that experience on the drive to church today, but you're yelling in the back of the minivan. Right? Paul's writing a letter over thousands of miles says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. Formerly, he was useless to you, right? Paul is playing on his name, right? He's actually useless to you. He's just a slave. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him here with me so he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for the gospel. Right? He's saying, you actually have served the same purpose. Right? I want you to see yourselves differently. It's not master and slave anymore. It's co-laborers in the message of God. And it says, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do, what I'm about to ask you, would not seem forced, but would actually be voluntary. Isn't that the better way? Perhaps, Paul says, the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is dear to me, but even dearer to you, now as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, Paul says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This challenging letter where Paul actually leverages his relationship for the sake of these two men. Well, he, he doesn't quote his power, although he could. Well, he's the founder of the church movement. Right? Philemon would have known who this was. But he says he appeals to you on a basis of love. He says, would you welcome him home, not as a runaway slave, but as a brother, as someone who now serves the same Lord as you do? He doesn't leverage his authority, either social or religious, but he appeals to him on a personal level. And this is so challenging to me because I think about the, like, the duality of this relationship and the challenge it would have been for both men in this scenario. Onesimus, the runaway slave, and Philemon, the slave owner. Right? And, 
And Onesimus, he, he is sent back by Paul and he is probably a little frustrated. It's like, are you serious? Like, do you know what you're sending me back to? And, and Paul knew that it's not just good enough for Onesimus to be like, hey, I'm following Jesus now. My sins are forgiven. Forget about the people behind me. And I fall into that same trap of thinking too. I'm good with God. Don't worry about them. And Paul says, says no, no, no. There's so much transformation waiting for you because Paul knew that if Onesimus did not return as a runaway slave, he would be running forever. That if he would continue to run from the situation that he was running from, that he would not be able to live the life that God had for him. Christian tradition actually holds that Philemon heeded Paul's invitation. He accepted Onesimus back, taught him at the church that he had in his home until Onesimus had fulfilled his duty and released him to become a leader in the church in his own right. And he actually moved to the city of Ephesus, also in modern day Turkey, and led the church there. There's a significant lesson in this short letter. And, and many people have used this letter to say that Paul is actually affirming slavery, which is actually not true at all. Paul is affirming forgiveness. Paul is affirming courage. And Paul is affirming reconciliation. And as we look at this story, a powerful lesson emerges between these two men that actually mirrors something that is true in my life and in yours. And the reality is, is that fugitives never have freedom. The lesson emerges that fugitives never have freedom. There's areas in my life, areas in your life, where we are running from something. And whenever we're running, we miss out on freedom. That this passage is lifted out of Scripture and included for us in such a unique way because, like I said, Philemon was in the city of Colossae. He was a leader in that church. And when he receives this runaway slave back, the slave himself is carrying this letter. He's like, hey, read this first. Read, read this before you do anything. Right? It's from Paul, I promise. And as he's reading this letter, I can only imagine what's happening in his body. The frustration he must have towards this, this person that stole from him and ran away. The shock that he's actually back and has, has connected with his mentor, Paul. The as he's reading these words from the apostle who wrote his church a letter to start it in the city of Colossae, I wonder if the verse in Colossians 3.11 jumped out in his memory where Paul writes, here in the family of God, there is no longer Gentile and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but in Christ, Christ is in all and is with all. And I wonder if Philemon goes, oh man, don't, don't you hate it when like, that idea, that theological principle that you can amen to and nod your head to shows up in your life and you're like, oh, I gotta really make a decision about this now. I imagine that's Philemon's situation, right? Love your neighbor and then you have a neighbor that just like plays EDM music at one in the morning. <laughs> really? Hypothetical situation, guys. Hypothetical situation. <laughs> wakes your kids up on Saturday when you're preaching on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> when the unexpected bill comes and, and you actually have to trust God for your finances because the circumstances caught you off guard, right? When, when someone comes back to you and asks for forgiveness to recognize I've been so forgiven by God and yet I so deeply want to withhold forgiveness from this person, Imagine who would it be in your life 
if someone came back to you that had stolen from you, harmed you, abandoned you, and they showed up with remorse, real talk, how easy would it be for you to receive them, to forgive them, to grace them with a new start? Or flip it around. Maybe who's someone in your life that you've spoken poorly of, you've slandered them or gossiped about them, or you have an unspoken arrangement like I did with that person. You kind of just avoid each other. What would it take for you to go back to them and say, hey, there's a lot, there's a lot in the gap between our relationship and some of it's on me and some of it's on you and I can't control what's yours, but I want to say I'm sorry for mine. What would it take for that to happen? What story could God be writing in your life around that fear, around pressing through that thing that is holding you back from freedom. Because I think Philemon and Onesimus, they had come to grips with the reality in their mind that the relationship was actually already over. It was over. They had left, just never gonna see him again. You know, if he did, you know, Philemon would have the right to, to kill Onesimus, right? So the relationship is as good as dead, it's over. And yet Paul believes there's more to the story. And so Paul pushes and leads them to be courageous and leads them to reconcile because he believes that the story isn't over. And history proves that that was true. And you know this is true, right? It's in your, in your life that you actually act differently when you believe the relationship is over than when it is still in progress. Right? If you've turned in your two weeks, you work differently. It's like, they're not really gonna miss that case of soda from the break room. <laughs> And I got a party this weekend. Yeah, you've never done that. We're spiritual people, right? In a marriage, when you believe that the relationship is already over, you act differently. You're looking up lawyers' numbers. But when you believe there's still hope, that it's worth fighting for, then you go through hard things. It's worth it to you relationship with a loved one or a former loved one, you see them differently when the relationship is still in progress than when you believe it's over. Paul believed that this relationship, that the story was not over, that God had something more for them in store if they would face the thing that they were avoiding. And I believe that God actually will allow crazy circumstances in your life and mine that throw us off kilter, that kind of surprise us and set us back because he wants to teach us something. He wants to teach me that I can't live a life of faith and still hold on to my control. That God actually wants to in, you know, awaken my, my heart and my soul to something bigger than just what I'm seeing in front of me where it's I'm right, you're wrong, and this is over. You have to let go of that, but sometimes that takes a challenging situation. I remember when Kay and I were first coming to Chicago. This was 2009. And we were um, leaving another church that we were here uh, in the Midwest uh, leading at, and we were coming to want to be a part of starting Soul City. And we had a meeting here in Chicago with Pastor Jeannie and Pastor Jarrett. And again, the offer that we were making them was one that you really couldn't refuse. Hey, we're 26. Uh, we got no kids. Uh, we got a lot of energy. And we want to come work for you for free. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. What's the holdup? Um, and through this conversation, again, my perspective, through this conversation, uh, they ended up saying, 
that's okay. We're interested in that. But before you come here, you got to go back and leave your other church well. Because we hear some cynicism in your voice. We hear some blaming in your tone. We sense that you're not actually free from that place yet. I'm like, cynicism? Hi, I'm Kurt. It's nice to meet you. Like, you're going to hear that all the time, right? And, and yet, that was their invitation. It was not what we expected. But they were challenging us to go back in order to move forward because they knew that this was going to be hard enough and they didn't need to carry my junk in that process. And so we, we did that. We went back. We asked for forgiveness. We laid the evidence out that was once in secret and we put it in the light. Said, We've, I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've gossiped about you. I've been, you know, not supportive. I need, I need your forgiveness. And it didn't go great. And I think that's important to say. Because we read a story like this and, and then you hear the, the, you know, the historical you know, aftermath and it's like, oh yeah, sure, good for Onesimus. He didn't get killed on the spot. Sounds like a win, right? Like, but you don't know my boss. And I want you to know, it, we had the same resistance. It's like, really? Like, maybe I haven't been clear. This place is so unhealthy. It's not gonna go well. I'm trying to make this place better and I just can't because I'm not in charge. If I was the boss, it'd be fine. Right? You can, you've never thought that before. Um, you, know, you have those moments where it's like, what if this doesn't go well? And again, changing the circumstances is not the goal. That wasn't the goal in Philemon and Onesimus' story. It wasn't the point for us and it's not the point for you tomorrow at work. Changing the circumstances is not the goal. It's facing the thing that you are running from for the transformation that God wants to do in you. That's the goal. That's the invitation. That there's a bigger and better story that is possible if we stop running and start facing the things that we're avoiding because fugitives are never free. As long as I'm running, as long as I'm running from something, I'm not free. So what is it for you? that you need to stop running from? What is it for you that you need to start facing and experiencing the freedom? Because we found when we went back to our old church and back to our old boss and had those hard conversations, we found that Lewis Smith's quote to be proven true, that forgiveness is actually when you set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner is yourself. That forgiveness is when you set a prisoner free and you come to recognize the prisoner the whole time has been me. So what is it for you? What's holding on to you? What has a grip on you that you, you've felt it in your body since the moment we started talking about this and you are looking for an escape hatch to now get out of this message? That, that thing that you wish you could stop thinking about, I believe that's from the Holy Spirit. That, that's not just something happening in your mind. I think that's the Spirit of God saying, pay attention to this. There is transformation for you and growth for you on the other side of this fear. Maybe it's something about money, that the bills keep coming 30 days overdue, 60 days overdue, and you just keep covering up and moving it around from one credit card to the other because that game and that hustle is easier in your mind than sitting down and having a hard conversation with your family. But where, where are we at? Where are we at? Maybe it's an addictive pattern that has a hold on you. And at one point it was a mistake, 
but now it's not a mistake anymore. You don't save for a mistake. You don't buy a plane ticket for a mistake. And, and you know what triggers you to grab the bottle or to log onto those websites again or to text them back and re-engage the relationship, even when you know it's not what you really want. What is it for you? Maybe it's a relationship that has soured and it's been a long time. Maybe for you, it's your dad. And so today is especially difficult. And you might send a platitude text, hey, happy Father's Day. But if you're honest, you're hoping he doesn't respond because that would be easier. And I remember three years ago on Father's Day, I found out I was gonna be a dad. And as we moved towards um, my daughter's birthday, my mind went to many of my friends, female friends, who have an incredibly tumultuous and difficult relationship with their dad. It's just, for whatever reason, a lot of different details, it's just not helpful or healthy. And I remember holding my daughter thinking, I don't think any dad in this moment thinks about what it's gonna be like 30 years from now and we haven't spoken in three. I don't think anybody wants that. But life happens and stories get written and apologies never get offered. And the God of the universe, your heavenly father, don't miss this. The God of the universe says there is more for you than that. Maybe it's not your dad, maybe it's somebody else, but whoever that you're thinking about right now, there is more for you than that. I want more for you in that relationship. I want more for you, even if the relationship never changes, something in your soul will change when we embrace the invitation from God to offer and receive forgiveness. Because I think about Onesimus, right? He's going back to his owner, and then he becomes a leader in the church. And he reads this passage because that's all they had. They didn't have the scriptures back then. They just had letters from Paul. And when he was in Ephesus, he reads the letter from Paul to the Ephesians where it says, you actually are the ambassadors of reconciliation for people. It is your job because of what Jesus has done for you of giving his life on the cross when God could have easily said, y'all ain't worth it. You're too difficult. I'm gonna move on. He says, no, I'm gonna engage, send my son to die on the cross so that your sins can be forgiven. You can have a brand new life, a new purpose so that you can be reconnected to me. God did something when he didn't have to and Onesimus could go, you know what? I got a story for you. It's not just an idea. It's not just theology. Let me tell you about what I had to do, this idea of reconciliation that God actually can make people that shouldn't like each other love each other. Let me, let me talk to you about that. Let me tell you my story. What could happen on the other side of your courage? It may not go well. The circumstance isn't the point. And I'm not encouraging you to go back to an unsafe or unhealthy person. That's not what I'm saying. But you know the situation but you know that if you need to, you can still offer forgiveness from afar. I was talking with a friend in between gatherings upstairs and, and she was telling me the story that she was having with a friend of hers leading up to this weekend. She said it was this conversation of like, just do it. What's, it, what, what's keeping you? Just send the note. And we were talking about how there was a moment where I was facing something and talking to my counselor about it. And she pulled her big calendar off the wall and set it on the table and said, uh, let's just pick a date when you're no longer gonna be a victim to that story. Started flipping through. March good? No. October? 
I'm like, do you have a calendar for 2020 yet? <laughs> um, but what is it for us that keeps us? And again, it doesn't mean the circumstances is gonna change. But what it might mean is that the voice of God would become so clear in your soul that who your heavenly father says you are would be so powerful and loud that whatever your earthly father may say about you begins to wither away. What your heavenly father says is true about you is so clear to you that you're confident in that that your boss's opinion doesn't matter as much anymore. That the thing that is holding you back that you need to lay down at the altar, that you need to stop doing, or the thing that you have to start, the dream that God's put in your life, but fear has kept you back because you don't know if it's gonna work, that the voice of God and the wind of the Spirit would encourage and empower you to move into the life that he's created you to live. When I, when I think of this story, I think of my friend Danny Isaac, who is a part of our church, has been here for a number of years, and she would tell you that when she first came to Soul City, she stood outside the doors until the gathering had already started so she could sneak in, get a seat, and then get out before it was over. You've never done that, I'm sure, but that was her scenario, right? She would, she would be honest about that, and yet she pushed through her fear, her anxiety, and actually stepped in to even start serving around here. And she serves on our next team as a connection specialist, helping other people now engage in the story of God and move from beyond sitting actually into contributing. What's so powerful about her story is that actually last year, she was a part of what's called the world race, where she was in a new place almost every month and began leading and training people on how to do ministry in different contexts, meeting a stranger almost every other day. And that's something that she, you know, a couple years ago, she was, I would never have thought in a million years I could do that. Never have done that. But what God invited her to do to press through and have courage has opened up a bigger and much more beautiful story for Danny's life. So what might God have for you? What might bigger, beautiful story might God have for you on the other side of your fear, on the other side of your discomfort? What catalytic transformation could happen in your family, in your life, in your workplace, in our church, in our city, if we agreed together that with God's help, we say, I'm gonna stop running from my circumstances and I'm gonna start running towards freedom. I'm gonna stop running from my circumstances and I'm gonna start running towards freedom because I've been so forgiven, I can offer forgiveness. Because God is with me, I can have courage. Because the perfect love of God casts out all fear, I don't have to be afraid, but when I am, I can say, God, would you help me? What would happen in your life what, what do you need to, you know it, it you're feeling it right now, that you need to stop doing. You need to be honest about it. You need to ask for help with. Maybe it's something that you need to start. You need to take a step of faith, let go of control, lean into the relationship and fight for it rather than leaning out. What is it for you? My hope and prayer is that this short letter that on the surface shouldn't have even been included in the Bible but God saw it fit to be included and preserved so that you could hear about it today. My hope and prayer is that it challenges and invites you to live a life that God is dreaming for you to live, that you experience the vast freedom that is waiting for you on the other side of your fear. So I would love to pray for us. 
that that would be the kind of people that we would be, that that would be what we are known for, that that would be how we live and step into our life is because we are confident in the voice of our Heavenly Father. And that changes what we do in our own life, in our own relationships, at our own work, and in our own family. So will you stand and let's pray together? And we're gonna take a posture of prayer that we have right here where our hands are actually open. And I hope that by putting your body in that posture, it would do something in your heart saying, God, this is tough. This is scary. I need to receive from you before I can go do anything. So God, I need you. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that when we express that we have a need, you are quick to fill it. And so for some of us right now, God, we need hope. Hope that the relationship isn't over. Would you give that? Because some of us, we need courage. Courage to do what we know we need to do. That you never force on us, but you appeal to us on the basis of love. So God, we need courage. For some of us, God, the tough conversation we have to have isn't with a person, but it might be with you. To say, God, really? Really? Are your arms open wide to me? Because I've been running from you, writing a story about what I think you will do in response to me. God, would your tender voice speak to those who might be feeling that right now and welcome them home, letting us know that your arms, Heavenly Father, are always open wide and that forgiveness is possible because of Jesus. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray for all of these things. Amen.